Amen. Give the Lord some praise and take a seat. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be back. It's been a couple weeks uh, since I've been here, and so it's really awesome to be back. I was uh, in Alaska, all right? Some of you know. Uh, it was a missions trip, sort of. Uh, I had some speaking to do in Alaska, and I, listen, Alaska is beautiful. So uh, this is awesome. I encourage you if you've never been. anybody been to Alaska? All right. I mean, wow, that was amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there, and so we were there for a little while, about nine, nine to ten days. Uh, one of the things I was doing was speaking to students, and I just wanted to encourage everybody in the room that no matter how crazy things seem to get, no matter how dark the world seems to get. The Lord is always working. The Lord is always working and raising up another generation of people to follow him. He's doing it. I mean, these are teenagers just hungry for the Lord, just tons of them giving their lives to the Lord at the altar. And I was just thinking about how amazing it is that God is always going to have his people. God is always going to work in this world. And God is always going to bring light. And he's always usually going to do it through the next generation and the youth that come up. And so I was really encouraged. My heart was spiritually encouraged. Uh, I'm also glad to be back. I was also encouraged because I was excited to get back. Uh, because what God is doing here is, is uh, I don't want to say the word, maybe unique or whatever. What God is doing here is just awesome, and I enjoy it. And the spirit of what God has here in this room and the spirit of what God is doing through this church, uh, I was really excited to get back to. And so I'm really thankful for that. A good example of that was yesterday we had our back-to-school bash and saw, I think, over 500 people come through. Uh, who All of them heard the gospel, and every kid received school supplies that they need with a backpack. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your service, uh, for participating in what God is doing. Big shout out to Jess who ran the event for us. Uh, she did a great job. So more and more every year, we just keep building and more people are hearing the gospel and more people are being served. Uh, almost in, a, in a, an informal survey that I did in every room. So they would come through. And we would share the gospel, and I would always ask, who's, who's first time here? And see, like, who's, ever, who's never been here before? And at least half the room would raise their hand almost every time. Uh, so you had tons of new people hearing the gospel, being blessed. And so it was really an amazing time. So just always remember, that's where uh, your generosity, your time, your energy, your investment in City Light. Remember, we always talk about this. That builds opportunities like this. So even if you're not present, and even if you weren't able to be there, or even we're all working together to collectively create a place in which people can be blessed. So as you give, as you serve, as you come to restore, as you, as you come serve on a Sunday morning, whatever it is that you're doing, as you lead a lighthouse, whatever it is, uh, the Lord is creating a place in which we have the people resources and more importantly, the Holy Spirit resources uh, to do these kinds of works. And so I'm uh, really blessed and thankful for that. And one more thing is we're getting ready for the four-year anniversary, which is coming up September 15th, all right? It's crazy. We're going to be four years old, all right? We're like little toddlers, you know, stumbling around. That's what I always try to explain to people, right? This, we're, we're four, so you know what a four-year-old does. You know, they don't know very much, so that's like us. So you need to lower your expectations, okay? We're four years old. But we would love to do some baptisms on that day. And so if you're here and you have not been baptized yet, or if you recently came to know Christ and you haven't taken that next step, or if you've known Jesus for a while and you just never for some reason gotten baptized, we would love to help you in that. So you can email john at wearecitylight.org. You can find a baptism form online and you can get baptized. 
and it's the most epic day to get baptized because we shoot confetti everywhere, right? So it's a great time to get baptized, all right? Getting baptized anytime is a good time, but that's a great time to get baptized, right? So come, come join us on September the 15th and make your plans to be there, everybody. It's gonna be a great, great day. All right, as we continue through Ephesians chapter six, we are working our way through the armor of God. So the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor John looked at the belt of truth and Pastor Dale looked at the breastplate of righteousness. And today we are looking at the phrase here, shoes ready for the gospel of peace. Now, how many of you have seen the Sandlot? Do we have some? Please, I'm about to make a reference. I hope you understand. All right, so if you haven't, I mean, The Sandlot is the, like, movie growing up. I don't understand how you haven't seen The Sandlot, so you need to go watch The Sandlot, all right? There's a scene in the movie, you know, the whole premise is they hit a baseball over a fence, there's a big giant dog, and they're trying to get the baseball back, all right? Uh, At the end of the movie, the hero of the movie, all right, he puts on these special shoes. Does anybody remember what the shoes are called? Right, thank you. Somebody got this right. PF Flyers, all right? So there's this big dramatic scene. He's got to conquer the beast. He's got to go get the baseball. They've tried everything possible. They can't get the baseball back. The whole movie's been dedicated to this one plot. And at the very end, the hero of the story puts on some PF Flyers, right? These look like Converse's, high-top Converse's, right? PF Flyers. He puts them on. The music plays. It's very dramatic. And as he puts on the PF Flyers, everyone says, oh, now, now things are getting down. And with his PF Flyers on, he can conquer the beast. That's the idea. And he goes and he hops the fence. He grabs the ball. He runs away from the dog and he eventually conquers the beast. And it all happens because he's wearing his PF Flyers, right? Today, I want to spiritually put on your PF flyers, all right? That's what we need to do. Something you know about life is your shoes dictate what you're ready to do in every sphere of life. Your shoes dictate what you're ready to do. If you need to go, like we did in Alaska, hiking through different things, you need boots. If you don't have boots, you're going to be pretty lost. Big, big rain boots. You need boots if you don't have those. If you're going to play football, you need cleats. You're not going to wear slippers, okay? You're going to get destroyed. You need cleats if you're going to play football. If you're going to play basketball, you need basketball shoes, right? If you're just hanging around the house, you wear slippers. And you know what? If you want to be ready for anything, anytime, anywhere, you wear Crocs, all right? Crocs, because then you can go sport mode and everything would be great. So the shoes tell you what you're ready for. They tell you what you're ready for. And the Bible gives us this example about the shoes that the Bible calls shoes, the ready with the gospel of peace, all right? The gospel shoes. These shoes help you be ready for whatever it is the Lord has called your way. And particularly, they help you, as what we've seen, stand firm in the gospel. So the shoes you are wearing, spiritually speaking, are going to help you navigate the spiritual war you're in. Remember, this is the armor of God. You wear armor because you're in a fight. You're in a war. And therefore, you need certain things to be able to stand firm and advance in the fight. And one of the things that you're going to need to be able to be ready for the spiritual fight are the right kind of shoes, the kind of shoes that help you get a real grip into the soil of the gospel, the kind of shoes that help you navigate the spiritual battles you're going to have. So the message today, in light of that, is called Get a Grip. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip on reality, all right? 
Hey, I also wanted to remind you, so I, every time I go speak somewhere else, I do this thing where I train them to talk back to me because I don't know what they do. Right? I, don't know, I don't know what they're allowed to do. I don't know what the situation is. Uh, but I give them a few phrases, and I thought, you know what? City Light could use some retraining on this. So I'm just going to give you, I'm going to remind you, just remind you today, preaching is a group project. All right? It's a group project. All right? This is something we're all going to do. And, you know, when you stand before the Lord, he's going to give you a participation grade on, on how much you participate in this group project. No, he's not actually going to do that. But it's a group project, all right? And so we got to do this thing together. And I always want to remind you, okay, there's, there's a few things you can say and out loud. And some of you are more comfortable than others. Uh, but I'm going to loosen you up, all right, and to get you ready for this. There, there, there are three ways you can talk during, during the sermon, all right? Uh, one of them is you can say amen. So just say amen. Okay, you say amen when you disagree. It's just very, you know, I agree with that. That sounds right. Amen, you know, that's cool, all right? Uh, another thing you can say is, oh, that's good. Try that. Oh, that's good. Okay, this is like when you're eating a good hamburger, it goes down, you know. Oh, that's good. Nice ice cream, good coffee. Oh, that's good. You know, when you're having a good dinner, you say, oh, that's good. So if something, the Lord's working and it just goes down real smooth, you're like, yeah, I like that. You say, oh, that's good, all right? Uh, The last one is when you get real excited and you really believe you're full of faith. You say, preach it. Try that one. Preach it, all right, preach it. That's what you say. You stand up, you're like, preach it. You know, keep it going. Come on, Pastor. That's when you're like, yeah, the Lord's really telling us something. We got to get going, okay? So those are three options. Uh, there was a lady at the church I was at last Sunday. She sat on the very front, and every time I said something she liked, she'd say, hello, hello. That's what she'd do her arm like this. She'd just be sitting there, hello, you know, and I was like, hey, hello to you. Let's go, you know. So if you like that word, that's great, okay? Uh, but just to remind you, hey, let's let's do this thing together, all right? Um, if you talk more, I'll preach better. Okay, deal? We make a deal? A handshake, a handshake deal. All right, great. Uh, Amen. That's great. Okay, so go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, it's been fun. Also, this let's go thing is taken off across the country, okay? So eventually, I've been training other, whenever I go somewhere to speak, I do let's go now. Uh, and, you know, eventually 20 years from now, you know, every church is going to be saying let's go before, before we start, right? And you all know it started with you guys, all right? So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, I really only have one verse, but for the sake of context, we're going to read three of them starting in verse 13. Paul says, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So remember, that's the goal of the passage, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So that's the third thing in the armor. So as you look through Chapter six, you're gonna see six pieces of armor and they're in sets of three. So this is the, the end of the first set of three because he's gonna use different words. So for the first set of three, he says having, as in these are things you always wear. For the next set of three, he's gonna say take them up, as in these are things you pick up and use. So these are the three. Now in having, you need things you always need to have on, so to speak. This is the last of the third set. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and now shoes fit for the gospel of peace. Now, what kind of shoes you have on is a very important question in life. Very important, especially if you're a teenager. This is a very, very important question in life. Uh, I am learning how much shoes cost. I cannot believe, cannot believe that people pay, you know, $2,000 for a pair of shoes. This is unbelievable to me. Uh, I never grew up as a sneaker head in the shoe world, all right? You probably have noticed. People are amazed when I have, like, new white shoes, all right? Because I have these. These are, like, $50 from, from Dick's Sporting Goods. 
And people are like, wow, Nate actually has shoes on. So you guys know, you know, my, my shoes are pretty musty. So it matters, though, what kind of shoes you have on in life. It kind of tells people things about yourself. Uh, it's also an important question in your spiritual life. Shoes are an important question in your physical life, but it's a much more important question in your spiritual life. Shoes protect your feet. You know this physically because no matter how strong your body is, you're rendered pretty useless if your feet are messed up. You know this. Now, you could have the biggest biceps in the world. You could have the strongest mind, all these different things. You can't really do very much physically unless your feet are right. right? Even the best athletes in the world are taken out by just a sprained ankle. You guys know when you stub your toe, man, you fall on the ground and you just, ah, you know, you don't do anything. You're not, you're not running anymore. You're not going anymore. Your, your toe is stubbed, right? And you, that, that has ruined your day and has ruined your, your time. You can't move forward. Your, your feet matter physically. They enable you to be able to move forward and to do the things you uh, need to do. It also matters, spiritually speaking, in the same way. You need to protect your so-called spiritual feet and you need the right shoes to put on. So remember, the goal of the passage is to stand firm. You need to remember that every time we talk about the armor of God, because that's the point. The point of Ephesians 6 is that you would stand firm, and really the point of all of Ephesians is that he's teaching you things so that you can stand firm in the gospel, so that you can stand firm in your place, unmoved by the circumstances of your life, unmoved by the temptations that come your way, unmoved by your feelings and your own thoughts, and that you can stand firm in the midst of a storm, that you could stand firm in the midst of hard times, that you could stand firm in the midst of spiritual attack. That's God's goal for you in this passage, that you would be able to stand firm. Well, we all know you can't stand firm unless you have good shoes. You can't stand firm without good shoes. If the goal is to stand firm, you need good shoes. Uh, when Paul is riding the armor of God, he would have been picturing a Roman soldier. So he's walking through each aspect. He's in prison as he's riding this, so he's probably looking at one. So he's using a real-life illustration. He's just looking at the guy, and he's making a spiritual analogy, and he's writing this down right now. Uh, one of the things about Roman soldiers was in the bottom of their like, shoes slash sandals, they had nails so they could give them good grip in the ground. So at the bottom of their sandals, they had nails, and the nails allowed them to have a good grip and to stand firm. One of the interesting things about this passage, and we're going to see this kind of play out, is the truths of the gospel work like nails or like cleats in the bottom of your foot. They allow you to stand firm in the gospel. One of the things I actually have learned a lot about in this passage recently, and this goes to show you how much there always is to learn, even in passages that are really familiar to you. I had originally, for a while, interpreted shoes ready for the gospel of peace as um, the, the, the encouragement to go share the gospel, that you need to be ready always to go share the gospel of peace with others. Now, while that is obviously true and something we need to do, that's not actually what he's saying here in the passage. It's not about, this part of the passage in particular, it's not about you going to share the gospel, which is once again very important, and it's gonna be talked about in the rest of the passage. So this is something, this is a big deal, you need to go share the gospel. But the point is not that you should go share the gospel, but that you should stand firm in the gospel. It's a very different. It, the idea is that you need to stand firm. So when you think about this, uh, the armor of God, there's six pieces. Five of them are defensive. Only one is offensive. So five of them are defensive. They keep you safe from attack. The only offensive one is the sword of the spirit. So you think within the five that are defensive, the, the defensive ones exist to withstand attack, not to advance. 
You don't use defensive strategies to advance. You use offensive ones, and five of the six are defensive. There's only one offensive weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So therefore, the idea now, right here in the passage, isn't yet about advancing. It's going to talk about advancing. It's going to talk about making your mark on the world, sharing the gospel, being bold. It's going to talk about these things. But right now, he's trying to help you stand firm under attack. And so the question then becomes, what is it about the gospel of peace that gives me such good footing, footing in the ground that it allows me to stand firm under the attacks that are going to come my way? The attacks from the enemy, the lies that come my way, the temptations that come my way, the circumstances that don't work out. That's what Paul's trying to explain, is how does the gospel give you good footing so that when the storm comes, or when the troubles come, or when the difficulties arrive, or when the lies and the temptations come, they don't knock you over. That's what the point is. The point isn't put on these shoes, you know, so you can go attack the enemy. The point is put on these shoes so you don't get knocked over. That's the point. That's what Paul's trying to explain to you. And so in light of this, I just want to help you see two things, two quick things about this passage and about your life. You really need two things to stand firm in life. You need good ground and you need good shoes. All right, if you're going to stand firm, you need good ground and you need good shoes. And so I'm going to call this, these two things gospel ground, all right, and a gospel grip. These are the two things you need to stand firm. You need gospel ground and you need a gospel grip. So the first thing you need is gospel ground. You need good ground to stand on. This is what God has given us. So look at the passage itself. He calls it right here, shoes having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you need to be ready. Ready for what? Well, ready for attack. And what helps you be ready for attack? Peace. This is strange when you begin to think about it. What, what is it that prepares you for war? It's peace. What is it that enables you to be ready for the attack from the enemy? It's peace. It's a gospel peace. It's a blood-bought peace. It's a peace that was won for you by blood and a peace that was fought for you in war against your sin. It's a gospel peace. This is the ground upon which we build our lives and upon which we stand. The idea here from the scriptures is the gospel itself has brought you so much peace, it becomes the ground upon which you can place your life. It's good ground for you to build your life on. And this is where some of you have already lost some of your way, or maybe you're new and you're you don't, not even a Christian yet. The difficulty of your life is that you are not placing your feet on solid ground. You're not putting your feet, no matter how successful you are, no matter how many things go well, even if you feel like you have good grip on your shoes, you don't have steady ground to stand on because you're not placing it on the gospel that has brought you peace. The gospel has brought you peace. Most importantly, the gospel brings peace with God. The reality of the gospel is that when the gospel comes into our lives, it should settle us, it fills us up, it saves us, and it makes everything right between us and God. So I become right. So what was wrong with my life, which was destroying everything about my life, all of a sudden in one swoop gets right, and the biggest problem of my life becomes the biggest answer. The biggest issue I was facing becomes the biggest reason for hope. And now Jesus has completely flipped my life upside down, and I have good ground to stand on. The gospel settles us, it fills me, it saves me, and it makes everything right with my life. 
The gospel tells me that I am now where I was supposed to be all along. I am no longer lost. I am found. I don't have to seek for my identity. I have one in Jesus. I don't have to seek for a purpose. I have one in Jesus. I don't have to go to the world to find pleasure. I have enough in Jesus. I don't have to go to find approval from the world. I have enough in Jesus. I don't have to cover my shame through lies and deceit. I can openly admit how bad of a person I am because Jesus forgives me on the cross. These things change about my life, and instead of becoming someone who needs the world to build me up, I become someone who needs God to stand firm in my life. This begins to change who I am. Instead of living like the world around me, where I constantly need affirmation from the world, or I need success from the world, or I need love from the world, or I need all these other things the world can give but can only give temporarily that makes my life shaky and I'm seeking my identity and purpose in the world, Jesus comes in, he takes all that wrestling, struggle, turmoil, confusion, all of that, and he settles it by dying on a cross for my sins and bringing peace between me and God and restoring me to the original purpose of my life. So now I'm good. Like, because of the gospel, I'm good. My life is good. My hope is good. My soul can be good. It's like that great song, right? It is well with my soul. No matter what may happen in life, you can say, because of Jesus, it is well with me. Because of Jesus, I have hope. I am not dependent on circumstances going well. I have Jesus. I am not dependent on other people liking me. I have Jesus. I am not dependent on being successful in the world's eyes. I have Jesus. I'm not even dependent on a healthy body, even though that would be wonderful. I have Jesus, and I have the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. And because Jesus has given me that, my life becomes rooted and settled on good gospel ground. And this brings what? It brings peace. So instead of confusion now, I have peace. Instead of turmoil, I have peace. Instead of stress, I have peace. Instead of anxiety, I have peace. Instead of hopelessness, I have peace. Instead of striving, I have peace in resting in what Jesus has already done for me. The gospel gives me peace. Let me give you some scriptures for this. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, read it, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have peace with God through Jesus. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our, what's it say? Peace. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I could do this over and over and over again. The byproduct of the gospel is that God has now given you peace. Peace for your life, peace for your soul, peace in the midst of the storm, peace in the midst of bad circumstances, peace in the midst of bad health, peace in the midst of bad relationships. God has come and he has given you peace. And he wants you to put your feet on the firm ground of the fact that you don't have to earn God's love. He loves you. He died on the cross and rose again so that you could be forgiven. In Jesus, you have acceptance. You don't have to earn God's love or worry about how often you go to church or try to be a good person. All these things don't earn God's love. He loves you and he died for you. So in that place now, I can have peace. 
I don't have to be anxious about my relationship with God. It's already been settled. I have peace. This is what the gospel has bought for us, and this is what some of you need this very morning, is to turn to Jesus and put your faith and trust in him. As the scriptures teach us as well, Jesus himself is our peace. What do we learn about this is that peace is not a situation. Peace is a person. Peace is not a situation. Peace is a person. Situations change, but Jesus does not. So my situation may be good, it may be bad, and if my peace is attached to my situations, my peace will be high and my peace will low. But if my peace is attached to a person who stays the same, then my situation can be low, but my peace can be high because Jesus is always the same. So you need to go ahead and see, like, is your peace attached to the situations of your life? Does it go up? Does it go down? Is it inconsistent? If your peace is inconsistent, it's because it's not in Jesus. Jesus is consistent. Jesus never changes. He's faithful. And so we need to always be pursuing to make sure our our feet are planted on good gospel ground and receiving the peace that God has for us. Jesus has bought us peace, and that peace is what allows us to stand firm, that no matter how much trouble may come my way, my feet are standing on solid ground. This is gospel ground. This is what you and I need. And just to give you a, a little a visual picture of this, when we went to Alaska, one of the things you have to do when you go to Alaska is see some glaciers, all right? So ain't no glaciers around D.C. So we went, we got in some four-wheelers. This is no joke. So you like drive an hour in a car, you get to a place, you hop on a four-wheeler, and you drive two hours on a four-wheeler through you know, Alaska, you know, through nature, through, I mean, the most beautiful two hours of my life, probably, just you driving through, uh, and you drive, and you're just going deep into this place, and eventually, you end up in, like, a land of glaciers. I don't understand it. Uh, it's, like, 60 degrees outside. The weather's really nice, and then there's a bunch of ice everywhere, you know, so whoever knows the science behind that, you can come explain that to me. I was just like, this is cool. I don't understand it. doesn't matter if I understand it. I'm looking at it, so I was there, and, you know, there's these big glaciers, and there's, uh, in the summertime, they break off a lot and so it creates like lily pads of glaciers and there's basically lily pads of glaciers that that if you did it right you could hop on some of the big glaciers so they say in the winter time you can really easily get out and stand in the middle of like this glacier land and get on the top of a big glacier mountain it's just you know cool in the summertime it's a little bit harder because the water is so cold you know if you get in that water like give you hypothermia right it's like no you don't want to fall in the water okay it's not fun so there's lily pads though and you think okay well I might as well try them in Alaska let's see how far we can get so I get a stick uh, and they say, hey, you got to be careful, right? You know, you never know what's going to happen when you step on one of those things. And I was like, okay. So you get a stick. Uh, and I, I had, you should, I should have brought a picture, okay? I look, my whole face is covered in dirt. I look like I, I just came out of a mine, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm on this, and I, I, I put my, my stick in the ground, and I step on a glacier, and immediately the glacier starts moving, you know? And what I began to realize was glaciers aren't attached to anything, duh. Like, uh, it looks strong. It looks like a big block of ice, uh, but it quickly moves and teeter-totters. It's like one of those little games where you have to stay balanced on the thing, you know. So I get in one, and, and I, I, I stick my stick in the ground, and it's not so deep. So I try another one, and you're kind of dancing on these little glaciers. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't come here to die or to get sick, right? So I'm trying to go as far as I can. I don't get very far. My kids are there with me. 
mean, obviously they want to try this, you know. So it's one thing for me to be stupid. It's another thing to bring my kids along in this stupid ride with me, uh, which is basically what parenting is, you know. Come do the stupid things I do and try to do better than me. So uh, they obviously they wanted to be in the middle of a glacier. And I thought, well, I got. I mean, I got to do it. We have to find a way. So we get them on, uh, and and they get the first one on. He walks, and I'm like, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm usually not very anxious, but I'm like, this water is. You can't even see, you know. So like, if they go in, like they're freezing to death. I can't find them. So I'm really nervous, and I'm taking little steps. And uh, but Jude gets out kind of somewhat far, and I leave him, and I'm like having to go get another kid and get inside and come out and go. And we make it. We get some pictures, right? I'm walking back uh, with Josiah, and there was like right next to where we needed to be, where the ground was, where it was firm. There was one big glacier left. And some of them had moved around in the process of leaving. So this is part of the problem is the path that you took isn't the path that you can come back on because the glaciers move. They don't, they're not stable, okay? Just to reaffirm this scientific truth for everyone, they are not attached to anything, right? So uh, they're floating around. So it moves, and, you know, as there's like a little bit of a way. It's not the same, all right? So I'm thinking, well, if I, can, if I can hold this stick, and I hold this person over here, and then I can just kind of grab him with me, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of jump to the next one, you know, and we'll just, and just quick, quick decisions, baby. Just jump, 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 and you're there, okay? When you hesitate, that's when you die, all right? You can't hesitate. You got to be confident, all right? So we get, you know, I, I got Josiah with me, and we kind of take a, I wouldn't call it a full jump, you know, but definitely not a step. Right? It was a little skip, right? you, know, you know, and you're jumping on. And as soon as we land on this glacier, it just like wobbles, wobbles. You know, it, it goes whoop, and you know, and immediately I go into panic mode. Like, here's where we die. And I just take Josiah and I throw him to the ground. I just throw him. I just like, if anybody's going down, it's me. And so we're like doing like this, and I just throw him to the ground, you know, and he makes it to the other side, and I'm wobbling, and I just jump and I land on the other side of the ground. It was very dramatic, right? And we made it. We survived. We're alive, and we're here. And, and now my son tells me I saved his life. And I'm like, you're right, I did. You better believe it. You better believe it. You better not forget that ever, okay? I am your hero, okay? Jesus and then me, I'm your hero, okay? So Jesus saves your soul, which is important, and I also saved your life, right? So this is, this is where we have, I'm never gonna forget. Remember, I saved your life. When he's mad at me when he's 15, remember, I saved your life, okay? All right, you better listen to me. But the glaciers look like solid ground. They look like they're firm. But when you step on it, it's wobbly and dangerous. And I want you to understand that that's the truth about everything in the world other than Jesus. It may look like it's solid. It may appear to be solid. But when you step on it and put your weight on it, you realize immediately it can't handle the weight of your life, particularly the weight of your soul. You know this by experience to say, no matter what kind of great relationship you may have with someone, they can't handle the weight of your soul. You, another person can't complete the love that you need in your life. They can't do it. It's not firm ground. It may be good ground, but it's not gospel ground. No matter how successful you may be at work, you try to step on that to find your identity or your worth or your peace in life to say, well, if I'm more successful, I'll be more at peace. It looks like it's firm ground, but when you step on it, it begins to wobble. You know, you see this a lot with sports. If I win this championship, I'll finally be at peace. I'll finally be with my identity. You win it, you wake up the next day, and they say, what's different about my life? It's not firm ground because it's not gospel ground. 
if I finally get this boyfriend or this girlfriend, if I finally get married, if I finally, all these good things, I'm not, you already assume like, okay, if I go do these terrible things, that's not good gospel ground, you know? So if I'm out getting drunk and sleeping around and all these different things, uh, I don't think I have to reaffirm for you that that's not good gospel ground. It isn't, so just in case you thought it was, okay, it's not. But you also have this misperception that good things in life can be good ground for us, and there's a difference between good ground and gospel ground. And gospel ground is the only kind of ground upon which you can put your feet that is firm and stable because even the good things in the world aren't Jesus and they can't hold up the weight of your soul. So no matter how successful you may be, no matter how many good relationships you might be in, no matter how great your life may seem to go in the world, it is still not good ground. And when the storms of life come, they will completely knock you over because you never stood on solid ground. And maybe for some of you, you don't realize it's not solid until the wind blows, until the storm comes. And then you realize, man, my feet are not planted on gospel ground. They may even be planted on good ground, but it's not gospel ground. The only place upon which you can put your life is Jesus. The only person that you can really trust with your life is Jesus. The only person that can forgive your sins is Jesus. The only person that can fill your empty soul is Jesus. The only person that can give you eternal life is Jesus. The only person that can secure your identity is Jesus. The only person that can wake you up with purpose is Jesus. The only person that can fulfill every desire of your heart is Jesus. You need to move from good ground to gospel ground and set your feet on the solid ground of Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes for you and for me, are your feet on gospel ground? Are they? I'm not asking if you've believed and trusted in Jesus before. I'm asking if right now your feet are planted on gospel ground. You don't need to say to me, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's not my question. My question is, are your feet actively, are you consciously aware of placing your feet on good gospel ground? Are you living as one firmly planted on good gospel ground? You need to consider this with Jesus, and he's ready and willing. Whether it's your first time, you say, man, my feet are on that glacier, and I know it, and I need Jesus. And he says, listen, I'm right here, I'm right here. And you can step easily on firm, solid ground through putting your faith in him. Maybe some of you need to realize you are, even though you know Jesus, you're trying to move around on the glaciers of life. And you need to get back to the firm ground that is Jesus Christ. All your feet are on gospel ground. The second thing you need is gospel grip. Gospel grip. So you need good gospel ground, and you need good gospel grip. You need good ground to stand on, which is what Jesus has given us through the gospel, and you need good grip with it, all right? So I wanna close with, uh, I had a shoe under here. Oh, there it is. Oh, you were cleaning up. Look at that. You almost ruined the sermon, didn't you? Wow. Unbelievable. No, that's a, that's all right. It doesn't make sense that there was a random cleat under there. I get it. You should know me well enough to know. I was probably crazy enough to do that, though, you know? Here, that's a weirdo. He probably got something. So, you need good gospel grip. Here's what I want you to, I want, to, I want you to think about this picture, all right? This is uh, the, the cleat of my 14-year-old track star, Michaela, okay? So she gave it to me. Uh, and what I was thinking about with gospel grip is the reality that we kind of mentioned before, that gospel ground is what Jesus has done for you. That's something you can't do and something you're not supposed to do, just something you're supposed to believe and trust. But there's also something you are supposed to do, which is put on the right shoes, and just like soldiers needed nails in their feet to have good grip, your more modern day analogy of that is that you need spikes in your cleats. And I want you to think about your life and the gospel and gospel grip like gospel truths, gospel realities, practical gospel realities in your life 
are the spikes that you put into the cleats of your shoes. And that your life is going to be slippery even if you're on good ground, a gospel ground, if you do not place the spikes of the truth of God's word and the gospel in the shoes of your life. So I want you to think about it this way, to say, yeah, I, I am a Christian, I'm on good gospel ground, praise God, but because you're, you're not praying and connecting to that, because you're not sharing your faith with others, because you're not secure in your identity and who Jesus is, you're still trying to be successful in the world's eyes, you're on gospel ground, but you're not enjoying the benefits of being firmly rooted and secure to the ground. And so God doesn't want to just put you on gospel ground. He wants to make your feet stick to the ground. And that's some of you now, you say, I'm on gospel ground, I do know the Lord, but you're slipping. You know, your whole life is just one big slip. It's relationship to relationship, thing to thing, thing, struggle to struggle. And here's what I want you to consider in your life, is your life is trying to get good grip on the firm gospel ground that God has given you. And you take the gospel shoes, so to speak, all right? Hot pink gospel shoes, all right? All right? These, are, these are God's God shoes right now, not Michaela's shoes, these are God's shoes, all right? So you take these firm shoes that you've been given in the firm ground, and now you say, this is how I need to spend my life. So this is the book of Ephesians now. Even John went over some of these with the belt of truth to say you need to reaffirm the truths of God in your life. To say, instead of slipping around, I need to dig my feet firm into the gospel truth. And so how do I do that? I have gospel ground. Jesus has given me ground to stand on. Praise God. I believe and trust in him. I put my feet on solid ground. Now, in terms of daily life, I need to put good grips on my shoes so that I can attach myself to the good gospel ground. And this could be a million. There's six holes in here, all right? So we're going to talk six things real fast. Uh, but there's a hundred, all right? There's a hundred. So the first thing you think about is, okay, well, the really, the really basic one is I need to reaffirm in my life every day that Jesus really does love me regardless of my performance or how well I'm doing. I need to believe this. And if I don't believe that, I'm not gonna get anywhere. But when I reaffirm what Jesus has done for me, consciously, when I remember God's love for me, that's not dependent on my performance for him, that he doesn't love me more when I sin less, that he doesn't love me more when I have a good week, that God's love for me is the very thing that's changing me, that God's mercy for me is the very thing I need when I mess up, that instead of running from God, I should always run to God. I always have a home and a place with God because his love is steadfast. His love doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind about me. What he said about me and the love he's given me is settled, and I can enjoy it, and I can live by it, and I can root my life in it. That's the first cleat. I put this cleat in my shoe, and I become strong and secure and stable because I am secure in God's love for me. I say, man, Jesus really does love me. He really does. It's not some corny phrase or some trite thing. No, 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 no. He loves me with an unending, perfect love. And I say, this is a gospel truth I need to realize. Another one is to say, man, I really am forgiven. Like, no, for real. Like when I consider all the terrible things maybe about my life or the bad decisions I've made or even recently have made, you say, no, 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 I'm not, I, I will not live in the shame or regret. But taking my sins to the cross, I will bank on the fact that I am forgiven. My past does not determine my future. Why? Because I'm forgiven. The bad decisions of my past do not determine the hope of my future. Why? Because I'm forgiven. All the things that make me feel regret, Jesus says he is redeeming in my life. So instead of living in regret, I begin to live in redemption. I am forgiven. 
and I take the truth of the gospel that I'm forgiven because of Jesus, and I use that in my life that enables me to move forward and it also enables me to forgive others. And instead of becoming a person that's stuck in bitterness, resentment, anger, hatred, disappointment, discontentment, frustrated with how other people have behaved, I become a gospel person who's filled with peace and forgiveness and I live in freedom instead of resentment and in prison to my own bitterness because I know I've been forgiven by Jesus by much and therefore I am able to forgive others much. And the gospel cleat of forgiveness roots me in the ground of the gospel and allows me to live a free life being forgiven and giving forgiveness to others. So I don't have to be imprisoned by my own anger or shame, but I'm set free by the fact that Jesus has forgiven me. And this gospel truth changes my life. It becomes good ground for me. Another one about my life is that not only am I forgiven, I'm new. Jesus says that the old has gone, the new has come. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. I am new, I am new. I am not what I was, I am new. I am not what I think I am, I am what God says I am, I am new. I am not who I used to be, but I am new in Christ. I have a new heart, I have a new mind. I am not a slave to sin. It doesn't have the same power over me that it used to have, and if I believe that, I'm believing a lie. In Christ, I am the victor, not the victim, I am new. I am new, I have a new heart, I have a new mind, I have a new life, I have a new hope, I am new. I am not what I once was, and I don't have to live according to who I once was, I am new. I am not a different version, I am a new version of myself. And the Lord has given me a new hope and a new life, and as I put my trust in that, I can get good ground and I can move forward. Because I am new, I have hope, I have hope. I have the hope of eternal life. I remember the hope that Jesus has given me. Though I may suffer and struggle, I have real hope. We've talked about this in Ephesians. The Bible uses the word hope as a guarantee, not as a wish. We use the word hope like wish, like I hope my team wins the game. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible uses the word hope as a guarantee, like this will surely happen. So we put our hope in something we know is true. We put our hope in something we know is sure. We put our hope in a place that is guaranteed. And instead of living according to things that may change around our life and living according to wishes that we would like to be fulfilled, we put our feet firmly planted in the hope of the gospel that Jesus one day will return and that he will make everything right and I will live in a place of perfect peace with God forever. This is my hope. I wish my body would get better, but I can't put my hope in that. I wish these relationships would be restored, but I can't put my hope in that. I wish that I would be more financially secure, I can't put my hope in that. I wish that I could get married sooner, but I can't put my hope in that. I wish that things would go differently for me in my life, but I can't put my hope in that. And if you're wishing, if you're putting your life on wishes, you may know Jesus, but you're slipping around everywhere because the only place you can put your hope is in Jesus and his promises to you. And you know Jesus, but you're slipping around, and it's because you're living with wishes, not hopes. You need to put your hope in Jesus and what he's done for you. Put your hope in the promises of heaven. Put your hope in the promises of his presence. Put your hope in his desire to bless you and love you and give you good things. The Bible says no good thing does he withhold from those who love him. Put your hope in him. Stop living with wishes and start living with hopes and make the cleats go firmly into the ground. The next one is more like a practice in my life, is prayer. 
in community with God. And so as I pray and commune with God, I dig my feet into the firm ground of the gospel. As I pray and have community with other Christians, I am greater, more greatly connected to God. As I pray and involve myself in the, in the people of God, in a lighthouse, in church, in serving my community, as I pray and as I do these disciplines and as I read the Bible, I now attach myself to the very reality of the ground I stand on. So part of the reason for prayer is that it actually puts good cleats on your gospel shoes and takes the slippery shoes that you had and it sticks them deep within the gospel. And as I pray, I feel more loved by God and I believe believe it. As I pray, I understand the reality that I am new and I live by it. As I pray, I realize I'm forgiven and God loves me no matter what. And I stick my feet in the ground and I begin to live strong and secure. Prayer is the way you connect the spiritual truths of your life to your life. So as I pray, I'm doing this. So instead of thinking of prayer as boring or hard to get through or whatever, I understand all these things. We all have the same human struggles. You say, man, prayer is the means by which I put a cleat on my shoe and attach myself firm to the ground I'm standing on. And as I pray, I grow stronger and I can stand firm in the midst of whatever comes my way. I can fight any spiritual attack. I can deal with any storm or trouble. Because I have prayed, my feet are not only planted on gospel ground, but they're stuck to it. Prayer and being around other Christians helps attach you to who God is and what he has done for you. The final truth is that I realize now that others need what Christ has given me and I become a person who shares what God has given me. And as I share what God has given me, I once again take his means and I attach myself to the reality of what it is. So as I share with others and give my life to share with others and take bold steps to share with others, I become a person who believes more the things that I'm talking about because that which I believe and love, I will share. And as I share it, I attach myself more to the gospel ground upon which I stand because it becomes my life. It becomes something I live out on a daily basis. It's not stuck within the church walls or just within my own Bible study at home. It becomes everything about who I am at work and at school and at home and with my friends and everywhere I go. I live with the mindset that others need the same truth Christ has given me. As he's forgiven me, he can forgive them. As he's given me hope, he can give them hope. As he's given me new life and eternal life in, in his name, he can give that to him. And then I make it my daily mission to not only enjoy the truth God has given me, but to share it with others. And as I share it with others, not only do they benefit, but so do I, because I have put my feet not only firmly on gospel ground, but I take the cleat of evangelism and I stick my foot in gospel ground. And as I share the gospel and as I pray and as I spend time with God and as I contemplate the truths that I'm forgiven and as I remember the hope of heaven and as I secure myself in God's love for me and as I do all these practices and a hundred more that you can name that the Bible gives us, I begin to attach my foot firmly to the gospel ground upon which I stand, and because I do that, I can stand firm. This is what God wants to help you do is stand firm, and through gospel truths and Bible truths, put some spiritual cleats on your spiritual shoes and stop slipping around so much in life and begin to stand firm. You don't have to slip around so much. You can stand firm, and the Lord wants to give you that gift this morning through faith and trust in him. So whether your shoes are slippery and you need a new grip, Jesus is here this morning to help you.
And whether you need a whole new foundation and you need to turn your life over to Christ for the first time, Jesus is here this morning to help you. And my prayer is that we would all leave, not only firmly standing on, but firmly planted in and attached to the good gospel ground so that you can stand firm as you go about your week and your life. So let me pray, and we're gonna have people down front now. It's time to respond to the Lord. As the band comes up, I want you to go ahead and close your eyes and consider what God is speaking to you. Uh, The prayer team can go ahead and come down here. I wanna encourage you, once again, through prayer, to attach yourself to the realities of God and who he is for you. And that you would enjoy what Jesus is and has done for you. And that you would take this opportunity to be prayed over as an opportunity to attach yourself firmly to gospel ground and respond to God. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for good gospel ground to stand on. I pray that you would help us now apply this well in our lives, that we would not only have good gospel ground, but that we would have good gospel grip, that we would grip our lives to the truths of who you are, that you would help us all, Lord, to stand firm in the midst of whatever we're going through in life, and that you would help us, Lord, remember how much you love us and how the gospel really does change everything. Uh, Bring us peace this morning by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.